Let holy charity mine outward vesture be, and lowliness become my inner clothing. True lowliness of heart, which takes the humbler part, and o'er its own shortcomings weeps with loathing. There was a Catholic priest and a rabbi chatting one day, and the conversation turned to a discussion about job descriptions and promotion. What do you have to look forward to in the way of promotion in your job? asked the rabbi. Well, I'm next in line for the Monsignor's job, replied the priest. Hmm, okay, and uh, what then? said the rabbi. Well, um, next I could become archbishop. Uh huh, and then what? Well, if I work really hard as an archbishop, it's possible for me to become a full bishop, said the priest. Hmm. Then what? The priest starts to get a bit exasperated, and then he replies, well, look, with some luck, some really hard work, maybe then I could become a cardinal. Ah. And then what? (laughs) Well, the priest is starting to get really angry by now, and he says, well, look, with lots of luck and some real difficult work, and if I'm in the right place at the right time, and I play my political games correctly, maybe, just maybe, I could be elected pope. The rabbi thought for a moment and said, ah, then what? (laughs) Good grief, said the priest. What do you expect me to say, God? Ah, well, said the rabbi, one of our boys made it. (laughs) Now, now I was reading um, a report the other day about the promotion expectations of millennials. And having worked on assessment and development centres and training programmes throughout my career, I've sort of developed this impression that candidates these days have higher and quicker expectation of promotions than we used to be the case. And unfortunately, the report actually agreed with those sentiments, and it blamed the advent of the World Wide Web and access to faster information. It said, in turn, this has fuelled technology, software and devices which enable today's millennium generation to have immediate awareness and access to just about anything. But I got to thinking, and it's not really just the young, is it, that uh, embrace this. Many people, older generations included, have embraced this idea, and the practice of waiting or saving up to get something has sadly become a bit old-fashioned. And I use the word sadly because the discipline of waiting or saving often focuses the mind on what is really important and whether that immediate need, that immediacy for something is actually really that urgent. Our culture has changed over the years and it's becoming more of a I want it and I want it now ethos. And of course industry has inevitably kept up with that demand. So we've witnessed the rise of Amazon. Um, and, and look at our own supermarkets. Any supermarket you go into now stocks fruit or veg, whether in season or not. So the decision is not what to eat. It's probably based on cost more than anything. And of course, the carbon footprint of importing food out of season is a consequence that is often overlooked. Now, this report also cited that in many companies there's a new dynamic that's, being developed, that's developing uh, in the reward system. And that expectation is increasingly becoming shorter and can develop very fast into a feeling of entitlement. And companies are having to 
um, clearly define or reset expectations to deal with a very high turnover of staff due to the disappointment or in some cases even resentment when the expectation of that, those, those employees is not met. Now, of course, change is inevitable and it's a symptom of the speed at which we all live these days. But isn't the desire, and in some cases that need for recognition, isn't that that's, what, well, that's actually at the heart of it? And it's not something new. People have always sought recognition. It's a basic human characteristic from cradle to grave. Most of us at some point are looking for recognition, love or respect. Psychologists have built careers on the subject, but generally they agree the desire, this desire stems from the need to reinforce self-image. And it says, it says to the individual that the person that they have become has a value to others, and that value is recognised. And that in turn provides a security for them within their own social system. Now, of course, as one gets older and hopefully, say hopefully, wiser, the realisation that recognition normally comes at a cost, or at least it requires you to do something first. That becomes more apparent than perhaps it was in earlier years. And the consequences of rushing headlong into something not thought through in a desire for more authority or recognition is often where tension exists. Okay. In Matthew's Gospel... It's the mother of James and John who approaches Jesus, requesting this position of power for her sons. Mark, as we heard today, positions it as the two disciples. Either way, both the stories, and they are very similar, demonstrate clearly that their desire for recognition was founded on the idea of an imagined glory and authority in an earthly kingdom. And they completely, completely misunderstood the reality of Jesus' mission and the nature of the kingdom that he referred to. In the preceding verse, Jesus had given his final and most clear, most detailed prophecy of his forthcoming trial, suffering, death and resurrection. And yet all of them just overlook it. In this haste to have a share in the power and the prestige of the great triumphs they imagine are going to come. And the naivety, their naivety is compounded, if you think about it, with their approach. We want you to do, sorry, we want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. I.e., we're not going to tell you what we want, but we want you to say you're going to do it anyway. It's hardly an adult negotiating stance. And Jesus, of course, will not commit until he knows what they're asking for. And when he hears their request, he mildly rebukes them for failing to understand the message that he has been trying to give them. Okay. Ironically, and if we needed further proof, the other disciples then launch into James and John. But not on the grounds that they got the message wrong, but because they tried to get in first and steal a march on them. Clearly, the other disciples had also got it wrong and were enticed by that vision of a new kingdom and the power that Jesus would exercise. So we get to the point of Mark's story. And without trying to belittle the basic human instinct for recognition, Jesus identifies the failings in the socio-political power that the disciples wish for. He uses the Roman authorities, but as a negative example, and he cites how they use their authority to overpower a 
and tyrannise others, and how they maintain their position through control, coercion and violence. Now this is quite a theme actually in Mark. It's being used earlier um, and he did, when he describes the authorities how they overrode reason and justice to further self-interest and self-protection in the murder of John the Baptist. Jesus' words, therefore, that the Son of Man came not to be served but to serve, repeated in Matthew, word perfect, this proposed a vision that was the very anathema to the established government. Now, it would be easy at this point to argue that Roman subjugation uh, that Jesus referred to which was predicated by violence and suppression, isn't relevant to a contemporary reading. But to do so would be missing the point. Jesus was identifying how the need for authority and power, although not inherently wrong, could focus the individual's attention more on personal gain rather than on giving their service to the community or those in need. One's only got to look at our own society today increasing number of homeless on the streets, the steady, steady demand on food banks, even in more affluent areas, as you'd expect, like Wokingham or Maidenhead, the chronic shortfalls in funding in the NHS and the social services. It's pretty easy to see that we still haven't got it right. And Jesus' prophecy is coming true. His words, the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life a ransom for many, a radical renunciation of the misuse of authority and privilege. The reference of giving his life as a ransom for many connects to his earlier words about slavery and service and indicate that his death will demonstrate, it will demonstrate the violence and the opposition to his teaching by those in authority. Um, the word ransom actually is a literal translation but it's used throughout the Old Testament, Exodus, Deuteronomy, other scriptures. The word isn't as we know it. It often refers to God acting to deliver his people. Now, as I said, it's sometimes difficult to see the contemporary relevance of some of these passages, especially when they talk about things like Roman occupation. But it would be wrong to assume that this release, this ransom that we refer to, referred solely to a physical subjugation. It's more generic than that. And it indicates that by his death, Jesus releases everyone, every one of us from the social and political restrictions that we impose on ourselves in the pursuit of power. We are restored to the community that lives under God's dominion and are therefore giving a, given a new instruction by which to live, to serve, not to be served. And one other thing I just want to clear up, Jesus refers to himself as the Son of Man. And it may be commonly assumed that this is some sort of messianic title commonly used to describe him, like Son of God. But it isn't. And a recent search has shown that it's, it's simply an Aramaic phrase which is used to describe oneself. In the same way that you would talk about one, if you were talking about yourself. It's used 14 times. This, this phrase is used 14 times in Mark, every time by Jesus and every time to talk about the violence and suffering he is going to uh, receive and to vindicate the pain he's going to suffer. 
So the fact that it actually it's, it's a normal sort of saying should actually explain why the, the disciples don't get too hung up about it or too excited. So if we rephrase it now and say, Jesus said, I come not to serve but to be served. Sorry, I come not to be served but to serve. Then the example gets placed on a very, very human level. And it makes it accessible for everybody to follow. So maybe the next time we look for recognition or we feel that we're entitled to something, maybe the words of Jesus should prompt us to ask whether in fact we're serving or being served. Let holy charity mine outward vesture be and lowliness become mine inner clothing true lowliness of heart which takes the humbler part and o'er its own shortcomings weeps with loathing.